Welcome to The Burn, Beyond Fire Stop. I'm your host, John Zalepka. Our show is focused on life safety and code compliance in the built environment, which puts me on a mission to find the most interesting people in that space and get their unique perspectives. Our hope is that our listening audience walks away with an understanding of how our guests and their businesses or their facilities also contribute to the promotion of life safety in any environment. Our show, as always, is brought to you by Specified Technologies, also known as STI Firestop. And since 1990, STI has been a leading global provider of innovative fire protective solutions that help stop the spread of smoke, fire, and hot gases. And our guest today is no stranger to these such topics. He's an experienced safety specialist in the healthcare industry or the environment of care. We'll get into that, where it looks like he provides a safe and functional and effective environment for his patients, staff members, and others. He's the current director of EOC and Life Safety for JPS Health Network in Northern Texas. Michael Miller, welcome to The Burn. Hey, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me to do this interview. Uh, my pleasure. So we always like to start the show on a personal note rather than jumping into the whole business of things. And as my listening audience knows, what's on LinkedIn is fair game. So I scrolled all the way to the bottom of your page, and I, I actually saw something I had never seen before. There's this influencer tabs, and I, I honestly don't even know if you know it exists. I went down a rabbit hole of my own, but I saw that you had three people that you were following, Microsoft founder Bill Gates, billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban, and Pro Football Hall of Famer and two-time Super Bowl champ Jerome Bettis. So please tell me, did you even know the influencer tab existed on LinkedIn? And then, hey, maybe pick one of those guys or tell me why you followed him. <laughs> no, I really didn't know it existed. I mean, sometimes you, you just go to hit people, follow them, but you get interested what comes across. And, you know, two of them that interest me, obviously, is the billionaire aspects from Mark Cuban or Bill Gates. But one of the things I look for in the future is to just become my own entrepreneur. And those two guys are very, you know, they're the uh, gun ho you know, pretty much wrote the book on what they did. So following them too, and the information they send out on LinkedIn is always a, a, a good information to go by and, and look at and read. They always, always set out some good reads. So I was going to actually ask you what were some of the values and things and or why you were following them specifically. So, but now I'll turn it to Jerome Bettis since you didn't mention him. Are you a Steelers fan, and why are you following no. Jerome Bettis? <laughs> you know what? I might accidentally hit that follow on that guy. I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, man. But, all right, uh, all right. You know, everybody loves the bus, and, you know, he's very he's been very inspirational lately, you know. He actually went back and got his degree and master's degree and, you know, later on in life, and, that you know, that's very inspiring to people to see that, you know, a lot of athletes don't, you know, go to do that. But here lately, a lot of athletes has gone back to do that. Definitely a black professional athletes, and myself being an athlete, American, it, it's very inspiring to see people going back and doing that and pushing that, putting that forefront out there and showing other people they can do the same. Well, I mean, that is a perfect tie-in to my next question because I see that you went back and you earned your degree from Southeastern Oklahoma State University in occupational and, and safety health, and you're one of the few people who probably actually used their degree, so <laughs> I'll have to say well done there. Did you always know that you wanted to help people who help people, I guess you could say? Well, you know, actually, my background is when I first got out of high school, actually, when I was in high school, I was a junior volunteer for the fire department. I'm from a very small little town. I only had about 800 population growing up. So I was on the junior volunteer. And then I, when I turned 18, I was able to become a full volunteer fire fighter. And the main thing that interests me on them things was not going into the fires. I couldn't stand that. I don't like the uh, when the smoke, when you get into the smoke and it just everything turns black, that kind of freaked me out. Kind of claustrophobic, figured out yeah. I was a little bit, had a little bit of issues with that. But the medical side, which the medical response side is what really interests me. So I pursued to get my EMT basic. And then I, a few years after that, I went ahead and got my paramedic. And uh, so I always wanted to help people in a way. It, 
when I got the paramedic, you know, I was just kind of, I loved doing it. I loved trauma, but every day is not trauma when you're on the ambulance. There's a lot of what we're called like the taxi drivers. So you have people just wanting to go to the hospital, but don't have a ride, you know, can't get a bus ticket, something like that. But they really do need to go to the hospital. So not all your calls are exciting. So I kind of lost interest and I thought maybe I wanted to go do something else, either nursing or, or a physician assistant is what I wanted to kind of pursue. So I started working in hospitals as a technician. Usually they have like an, you could be an EMT within the ERs and things like that. So I worked myself way through a few hospitals and I landed at Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth, Texas. And that's kind of where my safety background started. I was working as a paramedic in the ER and I had a director who just, she seen my drive and she was kind of like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to create a position. We got compliance issues. Maybe you can be our, our safety coordinator and equipment coordinator for compliance. So I promoted up to that. And that's where I really started learning about, you know, joint commission standards, you know, NFPA, things like that. And started gaining my interest. And then a few years of doing that, I went ahead and applied for the environmental safety coordinator, which was for the, all of Cook Children's, would concentrate and focus on safety for the whole organization. And so I, I got promoted up to that, and I, I stayed in that position for a little bit, but that's really where I got introduced heavily into the codes because we were building a the South Tower at that time. It was a five-story tower, but it, it involved pretty big services like the OR, ER, uh, psych, psych unit for children, things like that. So that's where I've kind of got heavily involved on the design and construction side of the fire, uh, fire barriers, fire barrier management, how they need to be designed and constructed and installed. That's kind of where I started growing and getting a lot of my passion in this. I'm a book code nerd so i would stay up and just read books i went and try to find any certification i could that I, that would help me improve my knowledge in that field and then all of a sudden i got into safety so i got occupational health and safety early on i, I got associates in environmental technology and then i got my bachelor's in occupational health and safety later on just working full-time and going to school just pushing through you know a class at a time finally got through after a few years figuring out what i wanted to do but i got there a lot of people don't understand, you know, how did I fall into the safety side? Definitely when I was going through school at Southeastern, people don't understand that hospitals have a safety side. So usually hospitals are required to have a safety officer designated. That's in the, that's in the environment of care standards. And then you also require to have someone over life safety. Usually the facilities manager meets that piece with the environment of care side. Usually don't have a designated safety officer. Now after the, after the past probably eight years, you know, 10 years, hospitals have known that piece. So they actually uh, kind of carved it out to an own individual position, which has helped a lot because that position can take on a lot of the compliance roles, the, the compliance piece of those two chapters to ensure the hospital's meeting those standards. And it, it's very good. And I, I, I harp on hospitals that if you don't have a safety officer or individual that uh, has that position and you're giving it to someone that has a dual position, say your facilities manager or director is the safety officer for an organization, you're more than likely going to fail because you're going to have that fox watching a hen house kind of effect. And, you know, if they see something, they know something needs to get done. They need a job done and they might just overlook the safety issues because they're getting pushed more to get the job completed. When you bring that safety aspect out, that safety individual sitting there looking at the true risk, you know, for the patient, staff and visitors, and they're able to, you know, have those discussions with that facilities manager or director and tell them what the reasoning why you can't do those things. So I always try to explain that to other health organizations that they, they need to have that individual.
Yeah, no, that's a great differentiator where you don't have those conflicts of interest, if you will. Yes. But yeah, so this all led to you becoming the director of EOC and Life Safety at JPS Health Network. So tell us about a little bit about your EOC and some of your responsibilities over there. So yeah, I'm the director of environmental care and life safety here at SO. It's actually, when I started here at JPS, I got brought on. They really didn't have this department. There was another individual who started here at JPS to help build this department. And we were in the regulatory compliance side at first, which was kind of odd to me because we usually when I work as a safety officer, something on organization report up to operations. So when I started here, she quickly promoted over to facilities engineering, which was her strong suit. And she's still here. Her name's Melissa Kyle, love her to death. But she brought me on to try to help grow this. And so when I came on, I had a vision of growing this department. Usually, and it's a very, it was a good time because I came on during our open window for our joint commission survey. So usually during that time, everybody knows, you know, the C-suite's willing to throw money and do whatever they can do to make sure their survey is successful. And so I was able to help use that to build the program. So when I started here, it was three of us. I was the manager and I had two program managers over what we call district safety. So I have two different divisions that kind of report underneath me. I have district safety and construction safety, which is a, a new thing here starting this year that I pushed for. So the district safety division is technically over all the environmental care and life safety standards to ensure the hospital is meeting those. They're also over doing any type of occupational safety things for the staff, incident investigations, accident investigations, any kind of patient falls in the physical environment, stuff like that. They, they're responsible for making sure we are meeting all those standards and then putting the reasoning why, giving the education of staff, things like that, helping out the departments meet those standards, uh, you know, identifying issues in those departments, how they, they work hand-in-hand hand with those leaders to make them understand. So that was a great thing to get in place here, and I've never had a hospital put this much emphasis on building a program like this. Usually it's just one individual, and you're taking care of environmental care, life safety, and emergency management. I have nothing to do with emergency management here at JPS. All I'm focused on is environment and care and life safety. The other unique piece is the construction safety I talked about. When I started here, usually construction safety lives underneath the planning, design, and construction department. But when you have that, you have that conflict of interest again because you're, you're reporting that safety officer is reporting to the director of construction, and if they want to get a job done, they might cut some corners. And the safety officer really has no voice. So when I when I came over underneath operations, I told my VP, I asked my boss, I said, hey, you know, why don't we just go ahead and move this position underneath safety so I am all things safety. He agreed. We brought it over, and we were able to build a great construction safety program. And their responsibility is all things construction. So we And most people know about the pre-construction risk assessment, which a lot of people get confused on because they think they hear the word construction, they, they think that, all it requires is you to risk a construction project, but it's not. It's to, you risk out any kind of renovation, maintenance, or any kind of improvements, that you, improvement projects that you have going on. So in that program, I have a construction safety program manager, and then I have two construction safety officers. And then I have a let's see, contractor coordinator position, and that position is very, very important for what we're doing now and the things we put in place. So that's just kind of the gist of it. JPS has been here since 1930. We are a level one trauma hospital for Tarrant County, which is about... 2 million, the population about 2 million. We are the county hospital, obviously, for Tarrant County, so we, we get it all. We are about 1.2 million square feet of health care and about 582 beds. 100 of those beds are actually behavioral health hospitals. We have two behavioral health standalone hospitals, and they are very busy here. We're only, we're probably one of the biggest ones here in Tarrant County, so a lot of people ship 
you know, send their patients to us that have behavioral health issues. It's just a growing facility. So we have a big bond project that's kicking off. It's about $800 million plus to build us a new facility. The facilities we're working out of now on the main street side are pretty, pretty old and we're just kind of band-aiding things to get by most of the time, but pretty big uh, projects going on, which our construction safety division will be very heavily involved in. Wow. So, and your job is to keep all these people safe, I guess. How many, how many employees approximately do you have for, with this system? This healthcare system, we have 12, 12, 12,000, I think it is. Wow. 12,000 employees. Yeah. And so we got, we have about 26 outlying clinics also. So it's, it's, we call ourselves a network. We're not like one of the huge systems like Texas Health Resources. They have like 14 wholly owned hospitals. We have a hospital and then we have a bunch of networks outlying. We're also are inside the county jails. So we're also in the county correctional systems. We also put our patients over our employees over there to support the patients in the county jails. So we're kind of spread all over the county and we are continuing to grow. We need more room. We, I say 582 beds. We're probably always sitting at 700 patients in house. We are never not busy here. Wow. So I guess now is a good time to let listeners know where they can get more information about JPS. I got the, the website handy here, jpshealthnet.org. And it looks like y'all, forgive my y'all there, are active on LinkedIn as well. So make sure to give them a follow. We'll drop the links in the show notes. And so people can find out a little bit more about you. So you have a ton of people working there. And again, your job is to kind of keep everybody safe. What type of life safety systems are needed to make sure that you can do that? Well, most of the life safety systems is one that y'all, you're, the SDI helps us out with. <laughs> That's a setup. That's yeah, a setup I, for sure. Yeah, no, no, you're good. You're good. You know, one of the biggest thing, life safety systems, obviously, when you think of life safety and you, you go to the NFPA code 101 for, and then go to chapters 18 and 19 for healthcare. So, and then we all have the core chapters we have to follow. Then we also have ambulatory healthcare. And then we, we have business occupancies, obviously, that have patients in them. So we have to make sure we're abiding by these life safety codes. And then when we think about life safety, the things we have in place obviously are fire systems, sprinklers, smoke systems, and then we also have our firewalls, our fire barriers. Those are very important because, you know, hospitals are designed to defend within, stay within the hospital. You can imagine we have a we have an 11-story t- patient tower. There's probably almost 200 beds on that tower. You'd probably say about 40% of those patients can't walk or ambulatory, you know, amb- walk on their own or non-ambulatory so you could and usually the nurse to patient ratio is about one nurse has six patients so you can imagine trying to evacuate a floor with just you know five nurses and you know they don't there's not enough people yeah you have facilities guys or security team to go up there to defend, you know help them get them out but getting patients down a, a stairwell and a med sled definitely old narrow stairwells is almost impossible in and trying to do that and practice that is almost impossible due to the our acuity of uh, patients that come into the hospital and, and how busy we are so we frequently try to practice as much as we can we do fr- fire drills all the time so nurses understand what they need to do in the event of a, a fire breaks out in their area but the fire barriers are there in place to you know, help us defend within so you know fire and smoke barriers are designed to compartmentize the the floor so you know if, if the fire starts on one side they're able to safely move to the other close those doors in between there and and it's kind of an area of refuge until you know someone else can come rescue the fire department come rescue anything like that but or we can get the fire out and they can stay in that area until we can refurbish the other side to get it back operational what what types of things do you do to prevent this kind of thing so the things we do to prevent these type of things is that we have several several different processes in place to prevent them. One, the one main process we have that we we implemented here is that we have a standing pre-construction risk assessment 
risk assessment meeting. So any project that's going to require somebody penetrating a fire barrier or smoke barrier, they have to submit a permit. It doesn't matter what it is. It don't matter if it's one cable, five cables, 15 cables, a conduit, whatever it is. It, it One wall, it doesn't matter. They have to submit the permit. The cool thing about our permitting system is that it's virtual. So that came into play because of COVID. You know, a lot of things are going virtual, things like that. But so we made sure the permitting system was able to go virtual, which we, we, we did partner with the company to do that. There is ways of being able to do it on your own. We found it easier partnering with the company because they man- help us manage other aspects of our environmental care life safety compliance documentation that we have to keep up with. So, But it's a virtual platform that we go on. The contractor vendor is able to submit their permits through that way. We have a standing meeting every Tuesday at 2 o'clock that they come on to present. They either present new projects or they tell us what's going on with the current projects that are happening at that time. The cool thing with that is that we require them to submit us their life safety drawings with their pathways. So they have to show the pathway on the life safety drawings. That lets us know hey, you're going through a firewall here or you're going through a smoke barrier here. What are you going to use? What kind of system are you going to use? You know, what, 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 first of all, what material are you using going through that, that wall? And then what kind of system are you going to use to, you know, fill that penetration that you just caused? A lot of times, it's been difficult, man. A lot of times they look upside their head like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you well, talking I about? I mean, that, that is, so the pandemic kind of forced you all into getting a, this virtual permitting platform going, which I, I, it sounds like it's the wave of the future, I guess, yeah. right? I mean, to be able to have contractors submit the life safety drawings and to say, hey, we're going to do this at this wall when we put this through there. That's that's fantastic. I mean, how yeah. else does it help to drive compliance and, I mean, accountability is right there, I guess, right? Yeah, the good thing is that is that we're able to track that permit throughout, and they also make them upload the spec sheet for the fire system they're using, so we under so we know we can go back and refer to it and see when we go to look at that system, did they install it correctly? So it helps with the compliance side. So the construction safety officers here, they go back on all projects. All their most of their job all day is to round projects to ensure that the first of all is that the the contractors are acting in a safe manner. They're not doing something out of the ordinary or being crazy or goofy. And then the second thing is to make sure that the contractors are installing stuff correctly per the life safety code. So with that permit, it's digitized to where those contractors are required to post that permit at their job sites. That safety officer is able to go by, look at that permit, scan it, do an inspection digitally, and then be able to either stop work right then that stop work goes directly to the project manager to let them know, hey, we got an issue, we need to stop work, or, hey, the work's good, keep going. So we're able to keep compliance throughout the whole entire project, and all those inspections are documented throughout the project until it's completed, and we can always go back and look at them. And then we always have that system tied to that, so we can always go back to look like we make we require them to put stickers by the uh, penetrations, but we can also go back and look what system was used at during that time with that documentation. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. So it... To the people listening out there, can they get in touch with you, pick your brain a little bit if that's okay? I mean, we're not we're not talking about millions of people here, Michael, but maybe we'll drop your LinkedIn a link in there as well. Oh, cool. yeah. Yes, yeah. Awesome. Anytime, anytime, anytime. I'm willing to help out anyone I can, anyone I can. So just to maybe tie STI in here, how would you say partnering with the eyes impacted this code compliance quest in, in your passive fire protection ventures? Oh, it's helped out a lot. You know, a Tim Peridian coming on site, 
doing the contract orient education for the fit testing and things like that, that's helped a lot of open a lot of eyes for the contractors, open their eyes and to see the importance of why they need to install things correctly. You know, you'll always offer good material and you, usually contractors don't have to buy anything from you. They just go on site and they, they get it for free. They go on y'all's website and they can, they can pull what systems they need, have the spec sheets, all the information they need so they can properly install a system. So, you know, SDI has been a great partner and, you know, I recommend any other healthcare system, you know, uh, reaching out to them and, uh, you know, reaching out to y'all and getting the information they need. Yeah, I appreciate that plug there. I mean, I know you ran into the guys recently up at Ashy. Yeah. You know, tell us a little bit. Are you, do you go to any other shows? Maybe I'll come across your path someday. <laughs> well, I go to the I go to our local Ashy in Texas, so Tapham. I go to those. I also try to go to the NFPA conference, and then also go to the Board of Certified Safety Professionals conferences when they have them. I'm a certified safety professional, so it's a little different uh, certification. Usually, you don't see facilities people have but because i'm on the right. occupational health side but you got to keep all the kids in your education hours up so awesome well i have a few other texas trips coming up maybe i'll get tim or kelly mason to bring me by and say hello in person yeah swing by I'd like to show you around awesome. and see, show you what we're doing here well michael thanks so much for joining us it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit i appreciate the time yep thank you again john and, and I want to thank everybody else listening in. I know you could be doing anything else in the world right now, but you're here with us, so thanks so much for that. Check out the show notes, as I mentioned, for some of the links of the things that we talked about in this episode. And if you are enjoying The Burn, please give us a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts fun from. I, I'm pretty sure that helps a bunch. And to catch all the latest and greatest on STI, check out our website. We're www.stifirestop.com. And until next time, this is The Burn. <laughs>